time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, the Extra Innings Podcast is back. We had a little hiatus. We were planning on doing a a podcast about Larry and I's Hall of Fame ballots. And as you'll hear in our conversation, I put it off mostly because I've gotten so tired of releasing my ballot and then seeing the anger and vitriol and arguing on Twitter. I mean, like, not that I really care, but it just is annoying after a while. Uh, I released mine today. It's Monday night. Um, recording the intro. Larry and I talked this afternoon. Uh, I let release my ballot today. I mean, I, I pretty much followed the same principles I always have in voting. So I, I think people that have read my stuff and read my the, the way I put together ballots and written about my ballots in the past understand kind of way I voted. Um, so Larry and I get into a lot of detail about that. From the news standpoint, um, they have uh, the Major League Baseball players and the MLBPA met today in New York. It went two and a half hours instead of the seven minutes like the last time they went face-to-face, so I guess that's a good thing. Haven't got all the reading done on it, but they will meet again on Tuesday, which I think is a good thing. Uh, the, you know, Obviously, it's infuriating to everyone involved that they're waiting this long up until the last minute, but they're like me when it comes to a feature story or everything I ever did in college, procrastinate till the very last minute, get right up against the deadline, and then try and get it done. So hopefully it gets done. Uh, and everything starts on time. We get a little bit of an off season and, and everything like that. Um, from a Mariner standpoint, obviously there's not much going on. They had um, three signings. Oh, they've announced three of six signings for uh, international players. They they kind of went different, you know, in past years. They, they would use kind of that six million or so that they would get in the bonus pool um, and spread it out and sign 20-some players to kind of smaller bonuses. This year they signed basically three players to all of that money, and they signed three others to really smaller contracts. But, you know, you look at the guys they went and got, a couple a couple infielders with some power and then a big uh, left-handed swinging outfielder that's drawn comparisons to Jordan Alvarez. So, you know, obviously they're not going to be um, helping the Mariners out anytime soon. But it's still good to see, and it's good to see that they kind of went after uh, elite-level talent because they have enough depth in the organization to do that. Um, also, we've been running in our paper those those kind of depth chart, position overviews for something. You know, Mariners players we haven't really talked to, and they, you know, nobody within the organization can comment on anybody on the 40-man. So we kind of just look some evaluation of of some positions and, and things like that. I hope people are reading them. I know some people have kind of, I guess, read them but not maybe comprehended some of the stuff. I mean, this is all based on the fact that this is what the roster is now, not what it could be. Um, so, anyways, you know, still finishing up those. I think I got the starting line. I got um, starting rotation, the bullpen, and maybe one um, second base, I think, left. So, you know, see those out in the next few weeks, and we'll, we'll have some more content. Hopefully, you know, we get back to normal baseball and, and have some fun, and, and we're able to write about some signings and everything else like that because I think we all just are not looking forward to the possibility of a lockout or of a work stoppage that influences the games or even spring training. So with that, let's get to Larry and start the show. 
right, Larry, we're back doing the podcast about two weeks later than we were supposed to. And honestly, I think part of the reason like I've been reticent to do this besides my laziness is also just like the general topic of it. I'm, I mean, I, I remember wanting to get a Hall of Fame vote so bad and monitoring everybody else's. And now that I've gotten one and now that like Edgar is gone and made it and Griffey, I just, I don't enjoy it nearly as much as I used to. I mean, I still put the same amount of effort into it, but just the the debate that comes with it um, is just not something I enjoy. I, I pretty much just, I post, I sent it to not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter and I haven't really went back and looked today. Well, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I lived and died with Ed Good for 10 years. Uh, would he make it? And then, you know, it, it it looked hopeless and then suddenly he made a turn and then came so close and then it was his final year and, and all that. So, yeah, but after that, uh, without someone that you have that emotional investment in, it is not the same, but um, the, the whole thing turned, you know, I, I've been voting for th- what was it, 20 years now, no, 30 years, no, 20 years, 20 years. Um, because you have to be a 10-year member. Let's see, 25 years, 25 years. This is my 25th year. And it really turned when McGuire got on the ballot for the first time, and then you had to face the steroids question. And it's been nonstop since. Sosa came on, Clemens, Manny, Palmero, Bonds, Bonds, you know, Exhibit A. Um, And, you know, it's the same old arguments every year. It just gets tiresome. People have the same arguments. People have the same counter arguments. Um, you know, you're not going to sway many minds. Uh, so it definitely is not like it was. I, I tell the story that my very first ballot, Don Sutton on, and uh, it was, a, I think it was one of his last years and he had 300 plus wins. Um, and my sports editor who was a, diehard baseball guy, still one of my best friends, Glenn Schwartz, um, was believed that he was just a guy who a stats accumulator who just hung on to reach 300 wins. And I, my counter argument was, you know, 300 wins is 300 wins. He's still got to be good. And he was also, I think, top 10 strikeouts. So, you know, those are the kind of arguments I say for kind of pure baseball arguments, but now that's no longer, it's, uh, this guy, he, he has horrible tweets, Kurt Schilling. So you, should you vote for him? You know, Omar Vizquel has these very serious charges against him. Should you vote for him? You know, all these other guys are linked to steroids. Should you vote for them? It, it, it's very rarely becomes a baseball question anymore. So uh, it's much more stressful than it used to be. Yeah, it, it really is. And I mean, like, and just because of social media, like, and even honestly, like the comments to me, I whatever. I mean, I get I get bitched at all the time on Twitter. So it's like I don't really care. You know, I mean, like I, I get that. But it's when like two or three of the followers they start arguing, you know, with me included, you know, based off of one tweet I had, then I gotta see it, you know. Like I, I just don't care. I mean, like I guess for me, it's it's we're in this kind of era and and it's it's mirroring a lot of the political aspects that we have that it's like ideological and there is no turning the other there isn't like either you either you believe that the steroids guys should get in or shouldn't or you know you're wrong and you're morally wrong and i just 
I mean, it's not a simple process anyways, you know, like it's a difficult thing. I mean, I take it very seriously. I sit there and research it and read everything, you know, and go back and look at my ballot last year and, and look at the new candidates. But at the end, you know, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to say, I don't hesitate to say that I make a more educated vote for the hall of fame than a lot of people do for their elected leaders. And, you know, and you still wear it because we make it public. I mean, like, that's the thing too. Like, as I think I said to somebody is like, no matter what, you know, by virtue, by the nature of what of voting and the kind of the aspect that it is, there's always going to be a disagreement because, you know, you're voting your own personal beliefs, not, you know, what, you know, the overall majority of what is right or what you believe is right. It's what you believe. It's your vote. And so it's, it's kind of interesting that you have to, we're dealing with this all the time. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Thibodeau, who's a great guy and I've become uh, Twitter friends with friendly with, uh, and, you know, when he came out to Seattle, uh, I missed him, but I think you met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, his website, uh, the uh, Hall of Fame tracker, has fundamentally changed the way the Hall of Fame voting is viewed and, and done and everything. Uh, because before, you, you had no clue who, who was uh, trending in what direction. And uh, it, was a, it was a big surprise when the vote was announced. Now you get to see, you know, the majority of the writers release their ballots to, to him and he tracks them. So you know how, how people are trending. Some people like that. Some people don't. I think Buster only wrote a column saying that it was not good for, for the process. I think it's very good for the process. You know, transparency is to be uh, something to, to go after. But it also, coupled with Twitter, it's allowed everybody to be to, to, to sit in judgment of every ballot. So, you know, I don't know how healthy that is. And you're absolutely right. Everybody thinks now that the, 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 the writers, there's this feeling that the writers aren't worthy of this. But, you know, on what, on what grounds, just because you disagree with the vote doesn't mean there's going to be a group that's going to, uh, of voters that's going to have a, that you're going to agree with. Part of the reason, I, I, as I always say, there's when you vote for Bonds and Clemens, there's going to be 50% who are outraged that you voted for the steroids guys, and then uh, and 50% who are going to think you are going to be outraged if you don't vote for the steroid guys. So how are you going to please those people? Any voting group is going to uh, is going to find fault with with the vote and. The baseball writers, by and large, have done a good job of of electing the right people. The the ones that most people view as not worthy of being in the Hall of Fame were put in there by the Veterans Committee over over time, like Harold Maines being the most recent example. I mean, honestly, though, and that's the thing, is it's like if we had, if you had to show some um, intellectual aspect or base or baseline knowledge of the subject or the candidates you're voting on you know for anything you wonder how many people would actually you know if they had set up some sort say like you had to take a test and you had to vote to 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 vote on something first to prove that you had knowledge of the subject how many people would actually get a vote you know and like with baseball you know you can say what you want there are some ballots that I just don't agree with and some thinking that I just don't agree with, but for the, to, to be a baseball writer for 10 years, 
means that this is something, an aspect of your life that you have some working knowledge of more than just the average fan. And, you know, and I'm not saying that makes us any better at the voting process, but we certainly know kind of what, what we're voting on a baseline knowledge of it. And I think for the most part too, that because you've read that long, you've been a baseball writer for that long, you've been a BBW member for that long. There's a level of responsibility that you take with it. You know, it's, it's, it's a privilege, not just a given that you get to do with that. Yeah. And and the fact of the matter is there's very few players who are no brainer. You don't even have to think twice about it. The Ken Griffey's, the Tony Gwynn's, the, the, the Hank Aaron's, um, most of them are debatable. There is a good debate about whether Todd Helton should be a Hall of Famer or, or Scott Rowland or Andrew Jones, all those guys who are, you know, close on the fringe. So to, to, you can make arguments for, and you can make arguments against. And uh, just because somebody comes on down on the side you disagree with, doesn't mean that, that they're wrong or the process is wrong. Um, you know, Bonds and Clemens are a different category. They are maybe the best pitcher, you know, top five pitcher, you know, whoever lived in Clemens case and statistically Barry Bonds is maybe the best player who ever lived. And yet there, this is their final time on the ballot and they're probably not going to make it again. And uh, it's a whole, it's, it's not their talent. It's how you view the steroids. And that's a, that's something that there's absolutely no consensus on anywhere among anybody. So it's just not that cut and dry. You don't get a, Mariano Rivera, a Derek Jeter, or Ken Griffey Jr., who are unanimous or close to unanimous, uh, every ballot, and those then those people go right in, and there's no problem. And I don't have a huge issue if they are, uh, uh, you know, two votes or one vote or three votes shy of being unanimous to get 500 people to to uh, come within 99.7 percent is, uh, you know, it's not an indictment of the process. Yeah, I certainly, and I'm not some, somebody that does the whole first ballot versus second ballot type of deal. Like you are, you aren't. I mean, like I can, you know, I can analyze it and readjust my thinking. You know, I've come around a little bit more on Scott Rowland and some of these guys, but yeah, I, I just, no, I, I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you know, it's, I don't know how many, I did it. Did I do it the last year that Edgar got in. I think it was my first year. The year Edgar got in, I think is my first year. Um, I remember that day, like I, I, I did my ballot. It was like the day I want to say it was a couple of days before Christmas or whatever. And I did my ballot, you know, I'd been writing. I, I love yellow legal pads. I love yellow legal pads. Like when I write a feature, I write notes and thoughts on yellow legal pads. I do a lot of research on legal pads, but I had written out a bunch of stuff. You know, I put lists and kind of put notes. I mean, you know, I've been writing about Edgar in the Hall of Fame so much. I felt pretty good about my art understanding, but looking on went through and read like everything that Jay Jaffe wrote and all this other stuff. And I, I we get I get done and send the ballot in. And we ha- I get this. I got me a bottle of Crown Royal to celebrate my first ever Hall of Fame vote. So he pours and he says, "Now let me tell you what's wrong with your ballot." Right then and there, like I was like, "Okay, yeah, here we go." But uh, I, you said, know, who said that? My who dad. Oh, your dad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, and he had beliefs about steroids and other stuff. And, and like, you know, like for my dad, it's, you know, he saw pre-steroids bonds play live and on TV often. And he just doesn't understand 
why Bonds needed to do that or Clemens, you know, for Clemens, I, I think for both of those men, it was the ego maniacs that they were, that they had, they couldn't not be the, couldn't not be the best. You know, Clemens, I think used it to help recover faster. Bonds just used it because he saw what McGuire and Sosa did and said, I you know I gotta be like that. Um, but yeah, I, it's just honestly like those two are off this year though. Right. Bonds and McGuire. And Sosa, all three of them. Well, McGuire's yeah. been off for a while. Yeah, uh, but Bonds, Bonds and, and Sosa and, and, and Clemens. And, Clemens and, and Schilling. And Schilling come off as well. But four of the most controversial people on the ballot. Yeah, our lives will get a lot easier. Not that it's like my, again, like I said, uh, until I, you know, after I, when you mentioned, hey, sent it to, to Thibodeau, and I had been meaning to do it, but I was waiting for us to, frankly, I was waiting for us to do this podcast, going to send it out, and I just, you know, I've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then I was like, you know, I had to go back and find it. I, you know, I did it again. Like I do mine almost every day, right? Like on Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve or the day after Christmas. Um, and, and so I had to go back and find the picture I took of it, but I think ours are pretty much the same, aren't they? They're identical. Uh, I, I posted mine a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the only difference is you, uh, you went for Jeff Kent and I went for Bobby Abreu. Mm-hmm. I went for Kent last year, but I added or tease. So somebody, you know, you have a 10 maximum. And so uh, nobody was elected last year. So mm-hmm. the same 10 <laughs> were still on the ballot and plus Ortiz made 11. So somebody had to come off and I took Kent off mm-hmm. and I presume you took somebody else off uh, to make room for Ortiz. Yeah, I think I took a break. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean Bray is a classic example of a guy that's on the fence. I've yeah. been, I came around to him. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people and, uh, are, write some pretty influential stuff that sways writer Jay Jaffe. You mentioned. I think he's he bears a big uh, plus in getting Edgar elected. I think people see somebody as respected as him make a strong case for somebody like Edgar, um, you know, Ryan Spader as well, <laughs> the ace mm-hmm. of spades uh, guy. He really, he wrote a strong piece that a lot of people saw on Edgar. So uh, I think some of those can sway people. And, uh, you know, I, I read some stuff about Abreu. There were some great points. He got on base more than Tony Quinn did and fewer, you know, at bats because he walked so much. Um, so, uh, um, you know, I can't remember what my point was, but, uh, somebody like an Abreu, you can have a good, strong spirited debate and no right and no wrong, wrong answer. Well, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's like, you know, what Jay Jaffe did and some of these other things and Spader, anything like, well, with Edgar though, I kind of, you know, it was a little different. I kind of understood because I had been looking, um, looking at like the numbers for him, but I think what those, some of these pieces do is, you know, it, it takes the numbers of the one candidate and puts them in perspective of the other candidates. So you can see, it's like the Brady stat you just gave, but yeah, you look at, Oh man, that's a pretty good on base percentage, but that, you know, then you, when you see it juxtaposed against other hall of famers, you're like, Oh, okay. Now I get it. You know, because like, you know, if you're just going off a of memory or whatever, then you don't necessarily get it, you know? And so that's, I guess for me, that's, that's been the biggest thing is like trying to educate myself. And, the, and, and, you know, I don't, 
I don't have a, a, a hugely moral component and we'll get to this here with the a-rod stuff but i don't have the hugely moral component that maybe some of the voters do like the morality of the game or some gatekeeper for the sanctity of the game i mean like honestly given what i know about baseball if, if you're building a character contest in terms of good quality people and characters and human beings the hall of fame would have about 12 freaking guys in there so I'm, i mean like you know i, I don't yeah. i don't go that I don't hold that to that level like somebody else does. And I don't carry, and I guess for me, I don't carry the, I, like I, it, the hall of fame is important to me. Baseball is important to me, but I don't, I don't have some visceral emotional just reaction when I see yeah. something, you know, like that, unless it's so egregious or so, you know, off-putting that, that I say, but I don't really have that when it comes to this. You know, that's the fact that people do have such a visceral and emotional reaction is, you know, it's good. I think it shows how important this vote is and how seriously you have to take it. It's not like, you know, people care, people mm-hmm. are live and die with this stuff. Uh, but I'm with you, you know, on the steroid stuff. I, I came to the conclusion a long time ago, I was going to vote for bonds and, and Clemens and I voted for him in every ballot that there is. Um, it's just, but it's just so it, it, there's so many nuances and levels to that discussion that it's really hard to 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 separate things out and 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 then you have this whole new element this time of of A-Rod and uh, uh, Ortiz being on the ballot for the first time and we'll discuss I think both of us drew the same line on that you know a lot of people the first thing that people said when they saw my ballot and I was looking at some of the Twitter comments on yours was the exact same thing how can you vote for Bonds and Clemens and not vote for a-Rod, and there's a very simple reason for me, and I'm going to assume it's the same reason for you. Uh, but everybody has to has to sort of have their their own standards. And it I don't know how you can't really tell the story of baseball and the Hall of Fame as a museum without telling without including Barry Bonds, the, the, the all-time home run leader. I mean, we're looking at a whole we're looking at a Hall of Fame that doesn't have the all-time hits leader in Pete Rose the all-time home run leader, single season and career in Barry Bonds, the, the guy with the most Cy Youngs in history in Roger Clemens, uh, a guy who's probably not going to make it this year in A-Rod, who's uh, top five in home runs. Um, you know, there's so many, you know, one of three players who has 3,000 hits and 500 homers in Rafael Palmero. There's so many uh upper echelon, you know, statistical achievements that are not represented in the Hall of Fame. And, and how do you tell the, the history of baseball without, without including those guys? You know, I, a lot of people have said this, but I agree. If you, you put it on their plaque, you know, reflect what, this, what the situation is, but, but put them in there. I mean, Rose is a whole different category. He's never been on a single Hall of Fame ballot. He was banned by baseball. And thus, the Hall of Fame has never included him on, on a ballot. So, you know, you can't blame us for that one. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure what I would do if, if Rose were ever on a ballot. But, uh, you know, betting on baseball is a whole different category than, than this other stuff. Uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, and I'm not, like, when I say I don't get emotional about it, uh, I mean, like, that doesn't mean I don't care, but I, I just, I don't allow 
emotions of any one aspect to influence me that greatly. I just, I can't, I look at it a little bit more pragmatically. I look at it just, I mean, and, and part of that is that's how we have to do the job on a daily basis. You know, we're sure. fans of baseball, you know, we're fans of good stories, but at the end of the day, like, you know, if I got pissed off every time the Mariners did something stupid, you know, because I was a fanboy, I mean, like that would, I wouldn't yeah. be doing my job properly. It just doesn't work that way. You know, it, it's, I, and people don't get it. Like when you tell them that you aren't a fan, like, oh no, you must be. I was like, no, you really, you lose that quotient in your in your mind. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm watching the football games this weekend, and I'm loving it, and probably because I got some action on it, you know. But um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have that, you know, unless it's the University of Montana or like people I know. I don't have that capacity anymore, and, and it's just different. You know, some people are like, how do you live like that? I don't know. I also don't agonize when a team loses as much other than a University of Montana football. And, you know, it was bad enough when I had to watch Montana State versus North Dakota State in the national championship game. It'd be like asking, yeah, no, me, it's, yeah, it's oh, asking me to pick between like ISIS and the Taliban, like which is better, you know, <laughs> my God. Yeah, you know, it's so true and people don't understand, although there, uh, there is a more of a trend now. I mean, Jeff Perlman, the, the author even had a, a poll on it the other day. Should beat writers be fans of the teams they're covering? Because he seemed to th- he saw more and more people like Bill Simmons who openly roots for the Red Sox and the, and the Patriots um, mm-hmm. and uh, others. And he thought that was a bad trend. But then the poll, you know, uh, most people thought it was fine and, and good for people to be a fan of the teams they're covering. So there's journalistic standards and then there's what people uh, uh, who aren't in the, who aren't looking at it the same way we are, don't see it as being such a bad thing. And that, but that doesn't make it right. You know, uh, you just, it's a, it's a funny uh, thing, but it just being, I guess, seeing how the sausage is made just wipes the fan out of you. I, Growing up, I, there was no bigger Los Angeles Dodger fan than me, and uh, I lived and died with him until I was in, in my twenties, and that's completely gone now. You know, I don't feel I, I can't summon up any sort of emotion for for the Dodgers except for maybe nostalgic for Sandy Koufax and, and those early heroes of mine. But the the franchise when they won the World Series the other day. The other year, I was not like thrilled as a Dodger fan, as a, as a young Dodger fan. That that just leaves you. Yeah, it's weird. It's like you know, I know Mina Kimes. She works for ESPN. She covers the NFL, and she's a big Seahawks fan. She has the Seahawks Super Bowl thing tattooed on her arm, and she's unabashed. Although I think she's dialed it back some since she's become more of a full time NFL reporter and then there's a guy that covers the Seahawks that cheers for the Steelers. I just find it weird. Like I don't have that. I don't know. I just lost it. I, I mean, like, you know, I, there are players that I get excited about watching, you know, and, and there are dudes that I'd, I'd like to see do well. I've said it before. Like, I, I like Mike Zanino. I always want him to do well because he was always very good to me and very good to deal with, you know, so I want him to do well. Um, you know, and then like if somebody says, you know, you're watching the playoffs and you say, well, who do you want to win? Well, I, you know, so-and-so I'd rather see this win, you know, but I don't like <laughs> At the end of the day, like I don't get that upset, you know. Again, unless there's action on it or something, you don't. I just don't yeah. really get into it. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm. I know you're kind of the same way, and our group of friends is. You know, we just like for us, we just like it to be entertaining yeah. and kind of exciting. You know, 
mostly so we can make fun of it. (laughs) But it's interesting as a columnist, you're supposed to kind of represent the feelings uh, of the fans in a way. So you have to, you know, you have to be invested in what they do, how they do it, how they play and all that. And I, you know, I can summon that up, but uh, you know, it's not like I live and die with them winning or losing. That just, uh, yeah, that just doesn't happen. It's a, it's a fine line to walk where you, you have to be sort of emotionally invested in, in the process in a way. Yeah. Well, I think as a columnist too, like you're, you're, you know, you have a critical or a discerning eye as to what is the, as to what is the the column or what is the feeling of the fan base, but then you do it without emotion. You might speak to the emotion that the fan base is feeling, but you write it with calculation and, and reporting or analysis, not just the, that's it. Fire everybody, rip it, tear, you know, like the, the, the Randy Quaid yeah. character in, in major league two, like, yeah. you know, back up the truck, back it up. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean that when there's a, when you see a, you know, an epic game, if I were covering that, that chiefs bills game, I mean, I would have been caught up in that and I would have been excited to write it and all that. Oh, yeah. Just like, a, just like I was in, uh, you know, the various great, games over time that I've seen like the Joe Carter game and the Kirk Gibson game and the, uh, you know, the, the Braves walk off a win to win the pennant. Uh, um, the, um, the Seahawks lost to the, to the Patriots was the most, you know, stunning game I've ever seen finish. Uh, and you, if you didn't sort of get caught up in that, you were, you know, you have no emotion whatsoever. So, uh, I mean, we still have to love it, or we wouldn't be doing it. It's a, it's, it's a lot of you know, forty years of doing this for me, and probably twenty five for you. You, you better love it, or, or it gets really, uh, it, it could get really tiresome real quick. Yeah, I love the just like the aspect of, like you said, it's the story or the the cool moments that you get to see. You know, it is that Super Bowl or the couple of weeks before when Jermaine Curse catches the walk off touchdown against oh, yeah. the Packers. You know, like. Yeah, you get to see that, you know, you, you see Otani hit one in the fourth deck, you know, stuff like that. You're like, okay. And you hear gasps in the press box. It's not cheering, but you're like excited. Like, holy cow. Did you see that? Okay. We don't use holy cow, but you, you know, do you see that? Can you believe that? You know, show that again. You know, everybody's talking about it. Then you, then you get into like when that happens, you're like, well, I saw so-and-so do this, or, you know, there was this. And that's, that's what makes sports fun. It's like watching with your friends. It's just that, you know, at the end of the day, the outcome is, not as important as maybe like making sure we make the deadline and don't get yelled at. You know? Well, I mean, we got a taste of that again here down the stretch yeah. the final week with the Mariners. I mean, just last week I happened across the video of Dave Sims calling, you know, the, the Mitch Haniger uh, hit the, mm-hmm. in, in the Saturday night game, the next to the last game. And I, just watching it, I got goosebumps. I mean, it was uh, incredibly exciting. And, and also the uh, the Jared Kelnick double the, the day before the call on that I just kind of randomly watched that every once in a while just because it was so it was so exciting and I I like to relive that so um, you know here we'll bring it back to to the Mariners here uh, we've been kind of missing that for a while and you know, hopefully we're on the verge of having many more meaningful seasons and meaningful games on a regular basis instead of just intermittently every few years. 
Uh, so, you know, after this kind of little sidetrack, but getting back to the whole, the, the steroids thing, the emotion of it, like with the A-Rod thing, I had a, like one of my buddies is text me. He's like, I like your ballot, you know, with, with A-Rod and, and Manny, he's, he go, he said, is it because they got caught? And I said, well, yeah, they got caught after they knew they could get suspended, you know, yeah. at the time when. Bonds was overdoing. Bal- is it Balco? Was that the place it was called? Bay Area. Balco, yeah, Bay Area Laboratory, something. Company. Yeah, uh, and uh, <laughs> co-op. Yeah, because some of your former colleagues were doing a lot of reporting on that stuff over there in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I worked with Fainaru Wada. He was the best. Yeah, um, and and like, you know, Manny. Um, yeah, I guess. Man, it's not as simple as like, hey, man, you're dumb enough to get caught. Then the rep- repercussions are there, you know, like, I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, and I don't think that he has a Hall of Fame credentials anymore, but Robinson Cano was trending towards Hall of Fame credentials. You know, he, he's twice gotten popped. I yeah. mean, like, you know, that's, I mean, yes, yes, steroids were illegal by law, but like there was no, there's no testing. There's no rules. There's nothing in baseball at the time of Bonds and Clemens, and maybe that's rationalizing a little bit or whatever. But that's just the way it was. It was the Wild West. Yeah, and that's the distinction I made too. Um, and then with Ortiz, I mean, here's the history of it, real quick. Uh, steroids was becoming in the early 2000s was becoming so such a hot button issue. Uh, the, the players association was resisting putting into place uh, rules and penalties. So what they agreed to was that in 2003, there'd be a mo- mo- there'd be a monitor testing where everybody would be tested. And if the positive rate of PEDs was high enough, then they would negotiate the, the actual rules. So, and everybody was promised anonymity in 2003, no, no ballot, no uh, results would be, would be known by name and there would be no penalties. So flash forward six years when uh, in a, the, the, those, those results were uh, subpoenaed in one of the investigations, Balco, I think, and leaked to the New York Times. They were supposed to have been, <laughs> the results were supposed to have been destroyed, but they weren't. And so the New York Times prints that there's 103 players, I believe the number, that tested positive, and they listed a few of the names, and one was David Ortiz. Um, and uh, that was not supposed to be made public. It was not, uh, it was not, um, there was no penalties attached to it or anything. So uh, I, you know, that's why some people wonder why you vote for Ortiz. And, and even a couple of years ago, somebody asked Rob Manfred, the, the commissioner, and he very strongly said that he did not think that Ortiz should be penalized for that because not only was it was they promised no uh, that this this would not be revealed, but he said that there were some false positives amongst that group. So there's not even any uh, guarantee that Ortiz really did test positive. He never over a long career after that he never tested positive again. So um, you know enough people they did institute. Uh, a actual formal drug PED policy starting in 2004. And that for me is the line of demarcation. And A-Rod was suspended after that. Uh, and so was Manny and 
so was Cano, and I haven't voted for those for those people. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I think Manning was twice too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. So was Cano. Yeah, um, Cano was Cano tested positive, or yeah, Cano tested positive twice. A Rod was admitted using steroids. Did he test positive? I know he was kit twice. He was hit with the one yeah. in Miami, and then there was another one, right? No, the first time was he admitted because the the uh, Sports Illustrated had an expose, uh, and I believe it was the from the same uh, test. And he, the first one was pre two thousand and three. It was he, you know, it was a, it was he. He said that he admitted he held a press conference that I went to in Tampa in spring training. I happened to be there making my spring training rounds, um, where he said that he he felt pressure after signing his big contract with Texas starting in two thousand one, and so for through those those years. That's, those seasons in Texas, he, in the first three seasons, he used steroids. This was, but this was before, you know, the, uh, the, the program went into effect. But then uh, he got caught up in the, what was the, the? Biogenesis. Biogenesis in Miami. And he was suspended for the whole year, sued baseball, did all that stuff. Um, so that's the one that I get him on. But, you know, at some point, uh, I, I may, I could see myself someday voting for, for A-Rod. Uh, I really could because, you know, I have little doubt that Bonds, even though, you know, he never tested positive or anything. Um, I mean, let's face it. He, he was a steroids user mm -hmm. and yes, it was the wild, wild West, but it, I, you know, I could see where it's hard to reconcile voting for Bonds voting for, for A-Rod even by that standard that I hold to now, but I could see myself maybe changing that. Cause as you see guys getting elected to the hall of fame, Piazza, Bagwell, uh, Pudge, who had steroids allegations against them. They're in the hall of fame now. Uh, you know, the, the, the line is going to get more and more blurred over time. So, um, you know, that this is why I'm getting a migraine headache, just talking about this stuff. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say I could see myself eventually changing my mind on A Rod. I don't I'm never again, I'm not that rigid of a person to sit there and say one way or the other. You know, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to look around, willing to do the research. So I, I'm I'm kind of the same way. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him over time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not I, I guess for him, it is it is different. I just like kind of was like, you know, the rules there don't get caught, you know, like, well, if you're going to do it, then you get caught. That's the penalty you pay. I mean, you know, I don't, Nelson Cruz isn't a hall of famer, but he, he wouldn't get in either. Probably. Yeah. You know, he admitted it. I mean, he admitted it. He wore it, said, you know, here's why I did it. Yeah. And the thing with A-Rod is that, you know, at this press conference, the first one where he admitted it, it was like, Oh, I mean, it was a terrible mistake. It'll never happen again. I was young. I was impressionable. And then he did it again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's, that's a strike against him as well. Um, yeah. You know, I don't believe he ever tested positive. I believe that he was found, uh, if I'm uh, not mistaken, it was based on an investigation into the biogenesis and the, and the records they had and everything. They felt they had him dead to rights. But uh, I don't believe there was ever a positive test for him. 
Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> nor, was there one, nor was there one for Nelly. I don't think. No, I think most of those guys just admitted it because they had a list, biogenesis yeah. list. And, and like, not only, like, I think the Miami Herald or maybe one of the other papers, maybe it was in the Herald, it was the other one. Did a lot was of a, no, I think it was a, well, it, it was a, like a city paper. It wasn't yeah, the a, Examiner or something like that. I can't remember, but yeah. they, they did a ton of the reporting on it. And then I think the FBI was starting to get involved. And yeah. um, because, you know, trafficking in this stuff is a federal offense, I'm pretty certain. And so that's kind of when, you know, when the FBI starts getting involved with your with that situation, usually people are like, OK, yep, no, this is a problem. So, you know, I think a lot of them admitted their guilt because there was records of it. You know, some guys wrote checks, if I recall right. They were writing checks to these places. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So, um no, I mean, like I said, you know, A-Rod will be there. Clemens, Bonds, and those guys will be gone. And 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 Schilling, you know, Schilling is a loathsome person. I, I'm not, I don't justify anything he did, you know, anything he's done since he's retired. Anything that he has tweeted or said or acted, he's a loathsome human being. But, you know, I'm basing this more on what he did on the field. Even then, that's a little, you know, borderline. I mean, he, you know. He was, but when he was good, he was really good. Yeah, I don't think his case is a borderline. You know, when you really, when you dive into it, I think he's pretty clear cut Hall of Famer. But he's the strikeouts and the yeah, the yeah, win, the, yeah. the postseason as well. Yeah. Um, but he he did himself in. Uh, you know, I voted for him every every year, but after last year when he fell just short, he kind of threw a a little tantrum and said, don't vote for me anymore. I want, he actually petitioned the hall of fame to take his name off the ballot because he doesn't, didn't think that the writers were worthy of voting for him. He wanted to be judged by his peers on the veterans committee and the hall of fame uh, would not do that. So he's back on the ballot, but I think he lost a lot of votes that way. He was trending towards, he was going to, yeah, I thought he was going to get in because he missed about like, like seven votes the one year, wasn't it? Yeah, he was really close. And so, but now he's actually fallen off this year. I think he's at, according to the tracker, he's at 61%. So he doesn't stand a chance. Um, and then it will, I mean, all these guys are going to be fascinating cases when they go to the veterans committee because the veterans committee is a bunch of old time players <laughs> and executives and yeah. a writer, a writer or two are probably going to be more hardcore on steroids than the writers are. Uh, you know, Joe Morgan, uh, before he died, he was the, I think he was the president of the Hall of Fame, you know, the players portion mm -hmm. of it. And he wrote an open letter saying that he didn't want the steroids guys in the Hall of Fame. I think there's a lot of guys who sit up on that podium, you know, uh, behind the that year's inductees, uh, the old timers that we all love. And a lot of them I think are like, I don't want those guys. So um, that will be fascinating when, you know, you know, Bonds comes up before that group. Um, you know, I'd like, I think Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not so sure that they're, that they're going to have a different out, outcome than, than us. Yeah, of that group, do you think Schilling has the best chance to get in if they go to Probably. the veterans? Probably. Yeah. yeah. I would think so too. I would think so too. I think a uh, lot of the old time players are pretty conservative. They probably, you know, they may uh, mirror showing some of Schilling's <laughs> political views. Um, other than that, I guess let's, you know, look, we'll find out tomorrow. So, Larry, as the national chairman, he will get to go to 
um, the Hall of Fame induction and present. Um, are you, Tim Kirkjian to present to Tim Kirkjian and. Well, uh, yeah, they uh, as the as the president of the baseball writers, my duty is to preside over the what used to be called the Spink Award, and now it's the Lifetime Achievement Award, which this year went to Tim Kirkjian of ESPN. So I'm really thrilled that he's the guy I get to introduce. But in the old days, until 10 years ago, it was all one ceremony, the, the Frick Award winner, the Spink Award winner, and the whoever, the Hall of Fame inductee, were all inducted on that Sunday in July. And then they decided to, it was going too long and they didn't want to cheapen, I guess, by having the media people there. Um, you know, Dave Niehaus, what, I went to his induction and what made it so special was that he was there with, uh, you know, the, the, it was, I think it was Eckersley and um, who did Eckersley go in with that year? Uh, no, it wasn't Eckersley. That was a different year. Um, but uh, whoever it was, he was on the same stage at the same time, and that made his speech in his, his ceremony that much more powerful. Then they changed it so that these that the writer and the broadcaster go in on Saturday, and it's a separate ceremony without the huge crowds and everything. A few, you know, Hall of Famers, many Hall of Famers who are in town still go. If you look at it, you know, Koufax goes every year, and you know, there's a good representation, but it's not the same. It's the day before the big the big ceremony. So, but still, I'm you know, I can't wait. It's going to be thrilling. And you get to say at the Otisaga. I think you do. Yeah. The, the Otisaga where we're, you know, that's guarded like, uh, you know, a military installation. You can't even, <laughs> I think when we tricked them into parking there. Do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used my, <laughs> we were there. When we parked yeah. there and then walked to, yeah. In about a thousand degrees in suits to. Yeah. But if we hadn't, if we hadn't parked there, I don't know where we would have parked. At that point, know. my dad was pretty much ready to strangle me. And then it only got worse. That the best time was after the ceremony when you and I still had to write and your dad and my son had like two hours to kill. And they got lost walking around. And uh, so they were trying to find, uh, I think uh, Bob Sherwin was having a barbecue. So at a house he was renting. So they tried to find that and they were, both of them were losing patience rapidly. Uh, yeah. they, they could do, we could do a whole uh, sitcom on that trip with your dad and my son and yeah. Uh, and the infamous yelling moment when we were me and my dad, I threatened to drop my dad off on the side of the road, <laughs> upstate New York. And then we could sort of take some poetic license and mix in the Griffey year where we got oh, stranded yeah. in Chicago. Oh, God. <laughs> for 24 hours. And I lost my, I didn't get my suitcase delivered until uh, the day I was coming home. Uh, yeah. So uh, we'll find out tomorrow who's going to be. The players are going to be, uh, uh, but I think that there's going to be, no matter what players are going in, it's going to be a good ceremony because you got Buck O'Neill <laughs> that made it and uh, yeah. Minnie Minoso and Jim Cott and Tony Oliva. So there's going to be somebody. And I think Ortiz is going to make it. He's right now at 84.5% and you only need 75%. And there's always a drop off for the steroids guys when the, all the ballots are revealed because the people who tend not to send their ballots to, to Thibodeau tend to be older and more conservative ones who, who tend to be harder on. I mean, this is statistically proven year after year 
there's a drop for these guys. But I think at 84%, I think he has enough of a cushion where he's going to get in. So that'll be fun as well. Uh, all right. Um, so the, the MLBPA and the, oh yeah, uh, Ryan. We should we should read our ballots since we haven't. Read oh them. yeah, sorry. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You All go right. first. Uh, yeah, I I went for Abreu, Bonds, Clemens, Helton, Andrew Jones, David Ortiz, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, and Gary Sheffield and Billy Wagner. Okay, I went with Larry Stone, Bob Condote. <laughs> oh, wrong ballot here. Um, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, David Ortiz, uh, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, Billy Wagner. Yeah. So, again, only one difference. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the two sides that have met exactly twice in seven weeks, which equals my vegetable intake in that amount of time. Um, supposedly listening to the tweets today that uh, it was positive, a positive, I wouldn't say a positive meeting because it sounds like there was yelling, but they're going to meet again tomorrow. So I guess that's probably good, huh? Well, the last meeting before the lockout lasted seven minutes. This one was two and a half hours. So if they stayed in the room for two and a half hours, some something must have been done. I didn't I hadn't read about the yelling. <laughs> Did somebody say that there was yelling? Yeah, like I uh, said it got heated is what Drellick wrote. Oh yeah. Right. But the 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 best news is that they're coming back tomorrow. Yeah. And so maybe they they're gonna get serious. But it's somebody tweeted, uh now we find out. You know, now the, the the meeting last week, which was virtual, MLB made its new proposal, and then the the union, the players' union, responded today. And I think this was an in-person meeting, and now the management, the, the owners, are going to respond again tomorrow. And as somebody tweeted, well, now we're going to find out if they want a deal or if they want war, you know, are they going to make the, the, because the players made a concession today, a big concession. They dropped their request for earlier free agency. You know, they wanted free agency sooner, but they, they dropped that, you know, that's a concession. Now we've got, you know, the owners need to make a concession. Now that's how deal-making is done. So I'll be very interested to see, you know, on the day that the hall of fame announced is announced, that would be a great day to uh you know to make big progress it looks like they're pushing finally towards a towards an agreement i mean like it just it just still makes it still irritates the hell out i mean like this should have been done they should have been meeting face to face before christmas like like the the premise of what they've wanted has never changed since before like it just put it together and, and get going i mean it's like I'm sure it's like with you and your kids, sit them down in a room and hash it out until you figure it out. You're not coming out of that room until you get it figured out. You know, I, I just, God, that just drives me nuts. Cause it's just like, everything has been put on hold and all the momentum that they had from the off season to start with is just gone. I mean, like you're just coming off the greatest NFL football weekend ever. And like baseball just looks really small right now. Yeah. Well, Drellich wrote last week that this is a strategy by the, by the ownership side of waiting out the players. This is, that's the reason that they're not moving is they think that they, they think the players are going to crack 
Uh, yeah, because players are used to getting paychecks that first week of spring training. Yeah. But you know what? Owners are used to getting uh, <laughs> revenue. So oh, you know, know. Each, side ha- each side has something something to lose. And then there's also the, the greater good of the game to worry about. But, spring training yeah, is you know what? Spring training is huge money now. I mean, like you've been, you know what it's like now. It's not like what it used to be. It's big money down there. Not only that, but how are you going to sell season tickets? This is the prime season ticket time. And, you know, it's hard. I think it's got to be hard to to sell on during a lockout when, when everybody's like, no, I'm not going to commit to that. Uh, And this will be three years in a row where there, there's something with COVID and and stuff. So, I mean, uh, but the last thing the player, the owners need is a, is a something else that's going to turn off fans or keep them away from the ballpark. And you know, I wrote a column last week to, uh, to what you you just said about uh, the the timing. I mean, my point was that the, the Mariners are being hit harder than most teams because after the way last year ended, there was such optimism and you know, warranted optimism going into next season. And then to have this, you can't really build on that while everything's shut down. So, um, you know, it's terrible timing for the, for the Mariners on the year when it really looks like they, this is the year that can point towards where it could really be a realistic from the beginning uh, playoff push. And they, picked up Robbie Ray and, and, and it looked like they were going to get more and then boom, shut down. So, and then when, when this thing does end, it's going to be chaos. You've got, I don't know how many free agents still out there. I think it's triple digits though. Mm-hmm. And they all have to find a team and plus trades that were in the works. You know, you're going to have a week where it's going to be a lot of fun, just like the week before the lockout where they were trying to beat the lockout. And then the week afterwards where you've got to set your team, it's going to be absolutely uh, frenetic. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be, <laughs> I can't wait for that because it's going to mean the lockout's over. Magical. Yeah, magical. I, I just wanted to, I can't plan anything. My God, how yeah. am I supposed to get this stuff figured out? Like the, the condo that we get every year. You don't even know what the starting date's going to be. <laughs> And uh, or how long you're going to be, be there? Is it, you know, it's a, if it's a three week spring training like it was in 1990 when they had the last lockout, then that's a whole different story than us. You know, if they settle this thing in the next couple of weeks, you can have a full spring training. Well, that's another thing too. Like, I just if I'm the owners too, you're you're dumping a lot of money on these players. Do you want to have a trunk? I mean, I know that spring training is probably a week and a half to ten days longer than it should be. But you're investing a lot of money in these players. Do you want to do anything that, like, you know, you run the risk of look at what happened with the COVID thing and the re ramping up and the shortened spring and everything else? I would think, you know, if I'm the owners and the players, I want to have everything as normal as possible. And obviously, yeah, this is going to be delayed and there's going to be a lot of guys trying to figure out where they're going to go till the last minute. But I still think you just want to have your full spring training so guys can get ready. Your full slate of spring training games, so you can charge increased ticket prices and beers and stuff like, you know, with 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 the way you know uh, they had limited crowds at spring training last year. And I mean, and for those people that don't really care about COVID, going to Florida and Arizona, that's pretty much an open territory for them anyway. So it's like there's money to be made for both sides. I just don't know why you want to even run the risk of upsetting it to the point where you know you're you're 
your spring training start is delayed, which could lead to injuries. You're missing spring training games, all this other stuff. And God forbid you were to be late to start the regular season. Yeah. Well, you know, in 1990, I did a, I remember this. It was my first year work covering as a full-time traveling beat writer for the San Francisco paper. And I did a story on that very topic on like, would there be more injuries or not or not? And I talked to, I remember talking to Randy Jones, who had won the Cy Young for the Padres the last year that there had been a strike and spring training had been curtailed. But there was lots of examples of players who had gotten injured and felt that they had because of the shortened spring. I mean, we've had shortened spring uh, before in, in 1995, which was the best year the Mariners ever had. They didn't sell the strike until two days before what would have been opening day. And then they had a very brief spring training. And, uh, you know, I think they made it through that. Okay. Uh, you know. So, uh, I think four weeks is really all you need. I think the, maybe even three weeks, it's for the, it's mainly for the pitching, but anything short of, I think four weeks, anything short of that, you're probably risking the players not being ready for, for the season. Like ideally, for it to work right, they would need to get it figured out. But like, I think I wrote February sixth or seventh. I think pitchers yeah. and catchers report on like in optimal circumstances, so that gives you some time to actually work the free agent market and stuff. But like, I think pitchers and catchers report the fourteenth or fifteenth of February, so you have to do it with some lead up into that. I mean, obviously, you could do it the day before or whatever, and everything would be fine. But that's for spring training to start as scheduled. You need, you would ideally want to have something done by the end of that first week of February. It's, I mean, it's the 24th. <laughs> so I know we got one more week in January. It's getting close. So that's just why it's good that they are sitting down and, you know, what you said is absolutely true. That why, why did they wait and they should this earlier, but it's just the human nature of negotiations that you need a drop dead deadline in most cases to get it done, you know, which is why even the deadline of the lockout December 2nd, they knew that wasn't a real deadline because uh, they still had time to salvage a full spring training. They still had another two months, but now that's used up. So it's finally down to it. It's down to crunch time where you've got to get, the wheels rolling to save a full spring and a full season. Well, and the owners wanted to use a lockout to put pressure on the players. I mean, it's, it's a bargaining yeah. move. Well, they wanted to take away the, once you have a lockout, you've removed the threat of a strike, which is what the, the, the mistake they felt they made in 94 was they didn't lock them out. So the players suddenly had the hammer and they used it in August. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's it just, it's an inconvenience for the players too. I mean, like by being locked out, they can't do the stuff they want. They can't get the stuff they want. And so, yeah, we'll see. Do you think it's start? Do you think we have it resolved by February 9th? Well, I could probably have a much better answer to that question tomorrow when I see what the ownership side comes back. Yeah, with. That's not how this game works. <laughs> this will probably drop after that, but, um, depending on when you post it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to lean optimistic. I, yesterday I would have said no, but today having seen them back at the table, I'm going to say yes. I think the owners are going to purposely 
be a pain in the ass tomorrow to see if they can get illicit player reaction on Twitter like they did during that. And I think they'll they'll solve it on February 14th, probably 13th or 14th. Valentine's Day. That's yeah. The, yeah. The Valentine's gift to the fans. Yeah, true. Which love. is just about the day that uh, what's reporting day for the Mariners? The you pitchers know? and catchers of the 15th. 21st for um, position players. So that would mean a, at least a week delay of spring training if they did it on the 14th. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, honestly, I I have to talk to our bosses, you know, let people in on inside baseball. But I probably just tell them, hey, look, let's just try and get down there by the first official workout. You know, if something were to happen, I had to get down there earlier. I could get a hotel until then, you know, yeah. or something like that. So. <sighs> All right. Well, Larry, I guess we'll see if there's what's going on tomorrow. Um, yeah. The Hall of Fame. Anything um, else you're working on? Nah, nothing, nothing of uh, nothing solid at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, I will let you roll. Oh, wait. Is Russell Wilson going to get traded this offseason? Uh, I'm going to say no, but I don't think it's a, a preposterous uh, proposition that some people do. Uh, I think it's a very legitimate question and there's smoke there. Uh, but in the end, I just don't see the Seahawks finding uh, a replacement for him. And that's if in that, and you just can't trade Russell Wilson if you don't have a decent quarterback coming back. You know, somebody who knows about being traded in their prime, a certain center fielder who has a statue in front of the, Stadium called me to ask me if Russell Wilson was going to get traded. You know how he randomly will just call you out of the blue. Yeah, that was one of those days. <laughs> you know, I just saw something on Twitter yet yesterday or today that I'd never seen before. But it was Where crazy he's d- in a dunking slam dunk contest. That was a nice dunk he did. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a good athlete. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. All right, that was fun. All right. All right, big thanks to Larry Stone for taking some time out of his day to come on and talk about his ballot. We kind of meandered there a little bit, but all good, you know. It's fun just talking talking baseball again and talking about the possibility of baseball. Some of the other stuff, obviously not quite as enjoyable to talk about, but still, it comes with a job. No hard feelings for me. I get yelled at on Twitter all the time, so I'm not too worried about it. Um, I'm not going to make any promises when the next podcast will be, but definitely hoping to have something more firm in the discussion about you know the lockout or the proposed end of the lockout um but until then i will talk to you soon this has been the extra innings podcast presented by the seattle times with your host ryan divish Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter, at Ryan Divish, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening. 